Hey everybody, just a quick word before we get started, and a act of shameless sort of quasi self-promotion. Um, my wife has written a little ebook. It's called Kids Mental Health in a Time of COVID, and she is a therapist, social worker who works in a school board, and it's sort of personal reflections and stories about dealing with and supporting kids in this weird plague apocalypse time. And it's, uh, yeah, sort of stories that people can maybe use, glean some insight from, adopt some strategies. It's not a clinical mental health workbook or anything, but if anyone's interested or intrigued or that sounds like something they might be interested in checking out, I will put a link in the show notes. And uh, yeah, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Lexitecture, a podcast about word origins and histories. My name is Ryan, and in each episode my friend Amy and I bring a new pair of words to share their stories with each other and you. You can find our past episodes and the occasional blog post on our website at lexitecture.com, follow along with us on Twitter and Facebook at Lexitecture, and if you really like what we do, you can support the show at patreon.com slash lexitecture. Today's episode, Hybrid Gun. Right. So, words. Words. Do you want to go first this time? Uh, sure. Okay. I will go first. Get my volume under control here. So, the word that I have chosen for this time around is gun. Ooh. Another little word. Um, and it just kind of it, it occurred to me, and I was like, huh, I wonder if there's an interesting thing here. And it turns out, yes, there is. So I've had, well, I'll get to that later. So gun is older. It's older than I was expecting it to be, but it's probably because I'm not super good at history. <laughs> so it dates back in the OED to 1339. Okay. And so, yeah, your your lack of surprise there seems to be that, yeah. It's just because I'm bad at history, because that's no, no. I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm busy. Like, I'm not super great at the history of of firearms. I, I don't really know very much about when it was that people decided to make things go bang in the direction of other people. Yeah. So it was, it was probably more of a non-committal, okay. Yeah, As in, okay. yeah, I, I don't really educate me, Ryan. That's what I'm saying. Educate me. <laughs> so, the oldest and original use of gun was, now I've been told by people who know these things, like military adjacent people in my life <laughs> over the years. Have, military adjacent. <laughs> have, every now and then it comes up that, technically speaking, you should never refer to uh, anything other than large artillery pieces as guns. Oh, okay. I didn't know so that. The, the I don't have any military adjacent people in my life. Yeah. And so... It, that kind of was immediately flooded back to me when I read through these original usages, because in the earliest days, that's exactly what gun meant. It meant a very large killing people thing that was big enough that had to be mounted on something else to move it around. Like it ah. wasn't handheld. It wasn't portable. The OED puts it as follows. A weapon consisting essentially of a metal tube massive enough to require to be mounted on a carriage or a fixed substructure from which heavy missiles are thrown by force of gunpowder or in later use by explosive force of any kind, a piece of ordnance, cannon, quote, great gun. So big, biggins. Those, yeah. those were the guns. And so that... Um, oh, I'm now super like, excited because now I want to know if biggin and gun are in any way related. I really Keep educating me, Ryan. Keep educating me. <laughs> so I, yeah, like my uncle, one of my uncles particularly, uh, had some stories, um, delightfully unsavory ones for fifteen-year-old me. Everyone loves his that time uncle. In the navy, and talking about this exact thing, how he, you'd actually get in trouble in the sort of the corporal punishment way that only military service can provide you with. 
for for calling your rifle your gun because that's not what it was. And I don't know if that's like a thing people stick to anymore, but that that seems overly harsh. I think the military needs to chill out a little bit. <laughs> I've said that a few times. I'm not sure they're they don't listen to me regularly, so I don't yeah, know that they'll... Those guys should meditate or something. They should. Mandatory yoga for everybody in the military. Go. <laughs> um, so it actually wasn't until several centuries later that guns start showing up to mean other firearms. So in the intervening period, starting at about the 1400s, you had handguns comes okay. into play. And handguns, interestingly enough, handguns were any portable firearm, but not pistols. Oh. So rifles and shotguns and muskets and those those massive, you know, the huge, ancient, hilarious-looking duck hunting guns, and it, those were all handguns, but pistols were not. This is, this and is madness. Yeah, cool. It is madness. The only thing I could think is that it was still close enough to the time when the standalone word gun meant the massive, super massive artillery pieces that it, it was just too far a stretch to call a pistol a gun. Fair enough. But rifles would have the long barrels. They'd have a slightly higher caliber. They would do more force and more damage. And so maybe those could be handguns. But pistols were just pistols. They were not handguns. Um, and so that was... A really interesting thing. It wasn't until 1744 is the first time we get the word gun that includes pistols. And so the guy, and interestingly enough, especially given uh, the way cultural winds have been blowing over the last couple of years, the guy responsible for that extension of sense in the OED to include pistols is none other than Alexander Hamilton. Oh. So I don't think... Lin-Manuel Miranda is a listener of ours. But if he is, I fully expect that to be worked into some sort of like second run of Hamilton if, somewhere. If Lin-Manuel Miranda was a listener of ours, I probably wouldn't ever be able to say anything ever again because I love him. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so Lin, um, I was going to say Lin-Manuel Miranda in 1744. No. Uh, <laughs> Wait a minute. Do we have a Keanu Reeves situation going on here? Yeah, the man is timeless, <laughs> but I'm not sure about that. Uh, yes, so Hamilton in 1744 uh, wrote a thing where he refers to pistols as guns. And so it's a specifically American thing. Draw of that what you will. Um, one, there, and there was, so there's a couple of interesting sort of sidebars about other senses of the word gun. So, and I'll start this with a question. What is the shorthand, if any, in the UK for, like, a medicine administered by needle? Do you have a, a shorthand word oh, for that? Like, what oh, you... right. So you're talking about the, the um, North American use of the word shot. Yeah, like, do you have that there? Not particularly. Um, do you call it a jab? I know that some people call yeah, it a jab. Yeah, a, a jab. It's, like... I know certainly in this part of the world you would talk about getting a needle. Okay, you just say getting a needle. Okay. And, and so a, a needle and an injection sort of formally, yeah, we, we don't really use shots. I mean, given the, the great colonisation of, of American English and, and the rest of the world through various media sources, I think that most people here would understand what you were talking about if you had to go and get some shots. But okay. yeah, we, we don't we don't tend to say that. Or certainly okay. I, I don't, and in this part of the world, it's not common. Okay. Interesting. Okay, so... I love the way I anyone... get to speak for an entire nation. <laughs> yes, this for, is my problem. For in the same boat as Amy, <laughs> uh, going to get, I, had, I had to go get a shot or get my shots, or you get your cats, you, your pets have to go get their shots for worms or whatever. So that's a very common North American-ism. And but what I didn't know, and I had honestly never turned my mind to, is why... But on October 30th, 1904, the San Francisco Chronicle had a supplement published that is, and I, I, have, I wasn't able to find it, yeah. and I really wanted to because I wanted to read the whole thing. But essentially, gun was drug, like street drug slang for a hypodermic needle. Oh. 
at around the turn of the 20th century. Now, it, it worked its way into print in 1904. I, can't, I can only imagine that it was being used at least several decades before that. That's super cool. But, and so that's why in North America, a, a medication shot. administered by needle is a shot because the quote in the OED is, I reached out my hand for my master, the little syringe called the gun, which always lay ready at my bedside for the early morning shot. That's so Sherlock Holmesy. I love it. Yeah. And so it's... Even though it's American, it's, it's Sherlock Holmesy in my head. Yeah. I've just decided. That's fair. So turn of the, twen- turn of, turn of the 20th century, uh, basically heroin and morphine addicts are why we say uh, you go get your shots because the needles were called guns. Um... And it's also the first... And I, I sort of cross-referenced this. I looked up shot, which I might... I might do a proper thing on because that seemed interesting just scanning through it. But it's also the first, like that exact supplement from the Chronicle was the first uh, instance of shot being used in that sense as well. That's lovely. So it, it seems to, it always seems to line up. The other one that I, that I, the other sort of phrase or idiom or whatever, and again, I'm, I'm not sure if this is uh, how universal this is or how much beyond North America, but is the phrase son of a gun? Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think I, I would hear people saying it beyond, ironically or slightly amusingly. You know, like trying to be funny. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I think it's it's a little antiquated anyway. Yeah, yeah, sure. I picture like my grandparents, my grandfather would say it. You might hear but, it in a cartoon. Uh, yeah, and I had always assumed that it was a euphemism, like I had always assumed that it was because someone wanted to say son of a bitch, but didn't want to say that. Oh, And, it, and so and they is... just sort of said son of a gun. And I thought that's what it was, but it's not. Oh. So um, the OED, I just thought this was kind of funny. The OED specifically defines this phrase as, quote, a somewhat depreciatory term for a man or a fellow. <laughs> and then it specifically says, see, quote, dated 1867. And so I immediately saw the quote at 1867. And this comes from a publication. Uh, it's got that awesome 19th century quirk where the title just kind of keeps going. <laughs> Wonderful. But luckily, it's a fantastic title. So <clears throat> the book that this comes from is called The Sailor's Word Book, an alphabetical digest of nautical terms, including some more especially military and scientific, but useful to seamen, as well as archaisms of the early voyagers, etc., Tell me that you found this book full text on the internet. I found this book full text on the internet. I oh have the PDF my, on my god! Sailors speak, bring it yeah. on. Uh, it was written by the late Admiral W.H. Smith and revised for the press, which I guess just means edited, by Vice Admiral Sir E. Belcher. So Outstanding. Yeah. The, In so many long ways. Long story short, I love every single thing about the cover of this book. <laughs> Literally every single thing about it. <laughs> and so this awesome book describes, uh, defines Son of a Gun as an epithet conveying contempt in a slight degree and originally applied to boys born afloat when women were permitted to accompany their husbands to sea. One admiral declared he literally was thus cradled under the breast of a gun carriage. Oh, born so, under a gun. Yeah. That's, and so the, that's the, I guess brilliant. that was where they would house the, the sort of the married quarters or at least where they would uh, co-opt it for the process of giving birth or whatever at sea. Um, and so, yeah, a son of a gun was just literally someone originally, someone born on the high seas under the gun carriage. That's brilliant. Which is interesting. So I'm, I'm um, thinking of Carly Simon, uh, You're So Vain. Because it starts yeah. with the word son of a gun. And as soon as you started talking about this word, I've also had the... I, I was watching some uh, like archival footage. I, I don't know if you call it archival footage when it was only a couple of years ago. Some footage of churches at Reading. Do you know the band Churches? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and they have a song called Gun. So that's bouncing around in my head just now. That kind nice. of mashup with Carly Simon. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's son of a gun. It's very, so, it's very pleasing to say, isn't it, son of a gun? 
Much more it so than son of a bitch. Yeah, it, it's more mellifluous. It rolls off the tongue a lot yeah. easier. I like it. Um, yeah, so I, I hope I haven't stepped on the toes of uh, the good people at Bunny Trails podcast, but just a shout out for them because that's like right up their street. That's their whole thing is they do etymology of phrases like that. Oh, nice. So I didn't actually look to see if they had done a Son of a Gun episode, but they may have. And if you like that, go check them out because they do all kinds of awesome stuff like that. Um, So eagle-eared listeners at this point will be noting that I haven't talked about the etymology of gun yet, which (laughs) is right. I'm so glad because quite often I get like a good, like sometimes five sixths through what I have to say about a word. And I think to myself, crap i haven't said a thing about etymology yet so i'm, I'm glad that it's, it's not just me <laughs> what's that thing we do again that, you know that um, the, the whole point of our existence let's get to that <laughs> yeah might as well now this and honestly this is why like i i, I read this and went i'm now obviously doing this <laughs> so gun is eponymous no sort of but yes, so the word gun, it comes from the shortening of a woman's name. And it's, it's a weird convoluted story. The OED has a big long section on it and, and talking about why this theory makes sense and an even more hilarious and pointed reason why the alternate competing theories don't. And I didn't copy it down. Aww. You're just going to have to go look it up in the OED because have we got posted... some some of that unique OED shade going on? Oh, it's so it's so much, and it's so awesome. And it go it, like the one of the bits is like, it this other theory is perhaps not impossible, but there is absolutely no positive evidence supporting it, and nothing else about it makes sense anyway, or something along those lines. <laughs> and it's amazing. So it an does OED seem... mic drop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It does seem that. The, this eponymous origin thing is, is kind of the way it goes. So the idea is that the woman's name was something along the lines of Gunilda, Gunhilder, some sort of, there was some sort of Scandinavian name for women that was very popular in sort of 12th and 13th century Scandinavia. There's a long-standing tradition of naming kind of big army things, big military things, after women. Okay. Presumably because soldiers were bored and lonely. But whatever that is, it's, it's, it's a very long-standing tradition. You, you think back of some of the other, like, Big Bertha or Big Bess or, you know, there's... Yeah, sure. Attributing women's names to a big military thing is a, is a well-grounded in history. And, and ships, of course. And you, yeah, and all ships are always her and, like, there's... That's a long-standing thing. Yeah, sure. So that's one reason why this this theory makes sense, according to the OED. Uh, so the idea is that in, in the the change happened in Scandinavian, where this popular woman's name was applied to things like ballista or catapults or trebuchets or you know the the big war engines mm-hmm. pre gunpowder were named this. Oh, gun! It's just occurred to me that. Gunpowder post dates guns. Like there were guns yeah. before there was gunpowder. Yeah. Oh, that's foxy. Nice. And it had like the the word gun it, at least in English does specifically seem to refer to things that go bang related, like explosive things that go definitely go bang. Yeah. But yeah, the substance gunpowder was used for guns. And guns were named that before the substance was given the name gunpowder. Oh, that's so great. So there's that. And so the idea is that because these other big war engines were were given uh, a shortened version of a sort of f- familiarized version of this Scandinavian name, Gunhilda, Gunhilda, or something like that, then it just kind of transposed itself onto cannons when cannons became a thing that people used to kill each other, then the, the names just sort of translated. And the other reason it makes sense is that the the name Gunhilder was composed of two words, and basically these two words mean war and battle. They, they both mean essentially the same thing, and they're both war-related. 
battle-related name origins as well. And so the reason we call guns guns is that gun in the 1200s somewhere in Scandinavia was a crazy popular girl's name uh, to the point where they nicknamed their giant artillery pieces guns like call it'd be like like Bess or whatever in English and eventually down the road some other language just used the word Bess to refer and their word Bess just meant gun and so yeah gun is eponymous for a whole bunch of Scandinavian ladies in the 1200s that is outstanding I love it yeah, I thought you might get a kick out of that. Also, uh, you know, I was just talking about Hanlon's razor. Uh, my maiden name was Gunning, and I've I've often of kind of wondered why, like why there might be a, a gun in there somewhere. Uh, I've I've never investigated it in any in any serious way, but uh, yeah, I I like I like the notion that I might be called after war. <laughs> yeah, but it, but with a bunch of different loops in the on, along the way, yeah. like. The name presumably came from guns or gunners or something. Yeah. But then that was originally a different woman's name, which in turn was named after war in that other language in that other time. I, I feel like I feel like I, I do when I watched Inception for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so great. And I, I love this I love this sense of uh, of calling calling artillery and calling, you know, big military things uh, after after women because yesterday I watched a clip of the excellent Susan Kalman you you'll have come across Susan Kalman and things like QI she's a Scottish comedian okay, yeah. she's she's really great uh, and she made a program I think last year called Secret Scotland and she was she, in, in the, the part of the show that I was watching she was in Edinburgh and she was at the castle and I hope that you saw and heard this while you were in Edinburgh but I don't recall I certainly didn't direct you to it but did you hear the one o'clock gun yes being fired from the castle yeah and do you know the name of the gun no the gun is called Mons Meg oh yeah so Susan Kalman was there with the guy whose job it is to fire Mons Meg at one o'clock possibly the most famous gun in Scotland and fittingly called after a, a diminutive form of a, of a woman's name. There's some there's some debate as to how and why Mons Meg got, got its name, got her name. Um, but yeah, I, that, that, that fits in beautifully. It does. I love it That's when awesome. a plan comes together, particularly when that plan wasn't a plan. <laughs> <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so gun. Gun. <sighs> Words are so good. They really are. <laughs> So good. <laughs> I'm just laughing at my my complete lack of any sort of eloquence or skill in, in that expression. <laughs> Words are good. So good. Words. <laughs> <laughs> so onward. Onward to another word. Ryan and I had a conversation. Now, this it's well documented how poor I am at time. <laughs> you know, like just just generally speaking, I'm not a very punctual sort of human being. I have a very poor grasp of how long things are going to take when I make a plan. I often get engrossed in things such that time passes away from me, and I don't realise that I was supposed to be somewhere else. I uh, I missed a I missed an online meeting a couple of weeks ago uh, that I very much wanted to attend. Because it started at 6pm and I gave blood that afternoon and I fell asleep after giving blood for like three hours and missed the start. And then I didn't want to join in the middle because anyway. So I'm not I'm not very good at time. Uh, And so (laughs) Ryan and I had a conversation via like a text conversation this morning, except it was actually last night. And time differences (laughs) hurt my brain so badly. (laughs) <laughs> and and I always like it's it's particularly bizarre to me that that we have this endeavor whereby I regularly have to navigate time differences. Like somebody who doesn't have a podcast with someone who lives on the opposite side of the Atlantic doesn't really have to care that much about time differences. You know, unless they have a job or you know they're, they're in a particular field whereby that that's going on. The the most that time differences bother most people 
it seems to me, is when they go on holiday, which nobody's really doing at the moment anyway. Um, <laughs> right. Certainly not, like, you know, crossing continents unless they absolutely have to. So yeah. time differences really, really hurt my brain. But we had a conversation where it was 7 a.m. in Scotland and it was 2 a.m. in Canada. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I can't get my head around the fact that I'm now talking to you on the same day, except it's not the same day for you. <laughs> because when I was talking to you this morning, it was last night. Ah! <laughs> yeah. This is like that. That crossover episode we did with Because Language when they were yes. still talking the talk. And it was like... That was so complicated. Five people in four time zones <laughs> in three continents over two days, but at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, where is my flux capacitor? Yeah. <laughs> this is surely, exactly. surely the only way that this can be happening. Um, but I, I, it's, like, it's like how computers work. I have to just forget about it and not wonder. Because if I did wonder, I, I'd have to take like two hours out of my day every day to actually read enough to figure out how that goes. Which which relates quite beautifully to the word that I'm going to talk about today. The, the conversation that Ryan and I were having this morning was about my new car. And the new car is a hybrid, which is the word that eventually I'm going to get around to discussing. Oh, cool. And I, I, I'm pleased to be an, uh, the owner of a hybrid car. I very much wanted to be the owner of an electric car, but partly because of cost, and partly because of, you know, just practicalities, that's something that I'm going to get to eventually, but not right now. So hybrid seemed like a good kind of in-between place to be. It has to be stated, dear Lex Texturers, that you, you know when you're you're really good friends with someone and you, you love them dearly and you have a lot in common and you, you really respect them and you, you have a good relationship with them, and then you find something out about them and you think, wow, if I found that out first... We might never have been friends. <laughs> and, and for me, for me w with Ryan, the, that revelation is that Ryan really, really loves Top Gear. Yeah. Now, not only because I find, well, the, at that time, the presenters of Top Gear were, to my mind, utterly awful. Um, also, I don't give a damn about cars, generally speaking. Uh, and I was right. telling Ryan a story this morning about a friend of mine who recently almost broke a car salesman by going into a showroom and saying, here is my budget. I want a car that works. What can you give me for this price? And the salesman was saying things like, yeah. so are you interested in this brand? Uh, it has a really solid reputation. And she's like, I want to spend this much money and I want a car that works, that, that I can fit all my children inside. Is this that car? And, and well, maybe you'd be interested in, in seeing a slightly different style. And she's like, I don't care. Just give me a car for this price that I can fit everything inside. So I, I have quite a utilitarian approach to cars also. Like very occasionally I'll see a car online or in real life and I'll be like, that is a really pretty car. Like that's good looking. But yeah. beyond that, I don't care. <laughs> like I just... I feel like it's how like uh, you sort of... Like I'm, I'm a heterosexual man, and so I don't particularly pay attention to how the way other men look. I, every now and then, there's like a handsome man. And you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good looking dude. Yeah, totally. But it's got to be a. They have to be exceptional, and b. It doesn't mean I'm any more or less interested. It just I can recognize that objectively, those lines form a shape that's objectively pleasing. Yeah, I, but, I think that's a very good way to describe it. That is exactly how I feel about cars. Yeah. Okay. Like. Does the car work? Will it transport me easily enough? And is it as much like all the other cars that I don't really have to remark on how it looks? Yeah, sure. Um, so so we, we, we chatted a little bit about the car, but I, I'm not really in a car chat because I'm not really in a cars. But I did wonder <laughs> about the word hybrid purely because it's an unusual looking word. And and I mm -hmm. would have, if, if you'd kind of asked me to just like, no research whatsoever, take a guess, think about the etymology. I would probably have said, like, it, it looks kind of Greek. That's that's probably about as, as much okay. as I would have gotten to it. Like, it, yeah. it, it doesn't look like a, a, a Germanic word, certainly. Um, so no. I'd probably go for Greek. And what I discovered was the etymology of hybrid is, in fact, Latin. It, and it comes from the hmm. Latin word hybrida, more correctly, hybrida, or indeed Ibrida, I-B-R-I-D-A, which okay. specifically meant in Latin 
the offspring of a tame sow and a wild boar. Oh. And thus took on the more general meaning of mongrel, or as as it is particularly distasteful to, to use, particularly when you're talking about, say, human beings, half-breed. It makes half me think breed, immediately yeah. of Harry Potter and Mudbloods. However, right, yeah. that's what a hybrid was in, in the sense of, of, of Latin. It was the offspring of a tame animal or a domestic animal and a wild animal. It was a bit of a mutt. Mm-hmm. And so in Latin, the OED states, hence human parents of different, ra- different races or half-breed. And it says a few examples of this word occur early in the 17th century, but it was scarcely in use till the 19th. The only member of the group given by Johnson is hybridus, the adjective. And hybridus simply means of hybrid character, which seems reasonable enough. Right, yeah. And uh, we have uh, the, the adjective hybrid and um, hybrid nouns. So the OED gives the definition as the offspring of two animals or plants of different species or less strictly varieties, a half-breed, cross-breed or mongrel. And mm-hmm. yeah, interesting. I, 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 I was like, oh, like, like you say, sometimes you look up a word and you think, oh, this, this is cool, but not really worthy of my of much more attention than that. And sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, cool. So this this one I was particularly interested in. And the the usage of hybrid in this sense comes it's cited in, in the OED first in 1601. But this is a translation of Pliny's History of the World. So Pliny has this to say via P. Holland. There is no creature in gender so soon with wild of the kind as doth swine. And verily such hogs in old time they called hybrids, as a man would say, half wild. Hmm. 1623 gives us the specific nature, its specific notion of a hog engendered between a wild boar and a tame sow. And then in 1828, quite a lot later, we get hybrid, a mongrel or mule, an animal or plant produced from the mixture of two species. Then we get... Interesting. Now, interestingly, 1601, the sense of of animals being uh, bred, bred out of two species or two varieties. 1631, we get it of human beings. This citation... She's a wild Irish born, sir, and a hybrid. And then, of course, very shortly, we get into the particularly distasteful, controversial and complicated to navigate world of race as in colour. So in 1878, we get Negroes from the Sudan, not such sickly hybrids as you see in Oxford Street, but real downright Negroes, half naked, black as ebony. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, interestingly, the citation in sense C, which is back to talking about plants, hybrida, a bastard, a monstrous production of two plants of different species. Transferred and figurative, we then have, dating from 1850, anything derived from heterogeneous sources or composed of different or incongruous elements. In philology, a compound formed of elements belonging to different languages. Now, here is something that I wish to say. As both uh, an interested etymology enthusiast and as uh, a person who very much, who has learned a lot about race in the last, let's say, 18 months or so. Now, quite a lot of what I've learned about race has been sparked by John Bewin's presentation at Sound Education. That, yes. if, if you recall, we were a little bit snickety about, a little bit rude about when we saw it on the programme. Yeah. You remember that conversation? We've talked about this before. His, his yeah. presentation was called Why We Should Listen to Black Women. And we remarked on how bizarre it was that a, a white man should be telling us that we should listen to, to black women. And then, of course, as we say in Scotland... Our pusses were shut. <laughs> <laughs> they were very firmly and shut. How. There's actually there's a, a beautiful expression that we use in Scotland, and I I often mean to investigate it to see if it 
if it happens anywhere else. But have, have I have I spoken about this before? When your your pus is shut in that method, uh, in Scotland, particularly in this part of Scotland, we say "ha clamped." <laughs> I like and it. And clamped means you know exactly that. That's your mouth shut. In other words, pipe down, shut up. You're wrong. Get over it. Oh, I love that. Yeah, clamped. And you, you can use it just like that. You can sort of, you know, just, just bark it at people. Ha, clamped. Oh, I'm going to use that so hard. <laughs> and you can also talk about clamping somebody else. She totally clamped him. Oh, I love yeah, this. Yeah, so um, I, I feel like I, like I want to clamp any person who has anything to say about human beings as half breeds or mongrels or or hybrids it is this yeah hybridization is the process by which brilliant things happen it's that simple yeah <laughs> you know like that's what i was i was the, the one that I, I was gonna stop you but i wasn't channeling my inner amy but <laughs> it's the the one quote that you did where the they're talking about like the the monstrous heterogeneity of a plant and i was like that's the first time i've ever had i've ever heard anyone ascribe a negative uh value moral or otherwise to hybrid plants because they're all hybrids like that's the whole the whole thing about uh, the agriculture and and the developments of uh, certainly food crops, but pretty much everything is the useful the utility of yeah. crossbreeding plants and and hybridizing and making them more hardy or more productive or better suited to the climate or you know like all of our citrus fruits are hybrids all of you know like, yeah and I've never heard anyone. Except for apparently this pompous jackass in the 17th century, <laughs> bringing his racism into gardening for some stupid reason. But I, I was I was curious about, and I don't know if there's any even a way to answer this. But I was wondering about, and I'm going to drag this all the way back to the beginning for a second. But just that the very early, you know, the the wild swine and tame swine. Like, I'm, is there? I wonder if there's any sense or any way to identify whether there was a sense of value moral or otherwise ascribed to that like was that people are very protective of their livestock and but was it a good thing to have like sort of an influx of wild pig genes into your stock of domesticated pigs or was that something that they shunned and thought were stupid were they worth were the hybrid pigs worth less or worth more like i don't know the value we descri- the value we ascribe to hybridity is is really interesting to me and and whether that changed it over years or like i say whether it's it's beneficial in plants but not for some people in people it, like all that stuff is really interesting it is super interesting and and i i give you this example and um you know that this is another it's, it's another area that's this kind of controversial and it's 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 one of these things that i like it's not up to me to decide what what somebody else finds controversial but uh do you recall the woman uh, walking in Central Park with her dog who threatened to call the police on a guy who asked her to put her dog yes. on, on a lead? Um, yeah. And a whole lot of the kind of backlash that happened on social media related to people saying, I get that you're concerned for her dog. However, <laughs> you know, you, you remember yeah. that. People are like, yeah, it's not great that she's choking out her dog, but also... She's treating this guy like she holds the power of life or death over him and seems to think that that's okay. Uh, so if you if you apply this concept to dogs, specifically, um, the, the whole notion of, of breeding dogs and breeding animals of any kind is, is one that I find both interesting and strange. And, like, I, I don't condemn either one. But I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with a friend uh, she's the sort of friend who we, we talk about very uh, very deep and meaningful things, but also we like videos of fluffy animals and send each other those quite frequently. <laughs> and um, so we were talking about French bulldogs. Okay, you know what French bulldogs look like. Yeah, okay. they're very trendy, very fashionable dogs. Kind of one of these kind of, you know, Instagrammable dogs. 
and they are right. they're, they're really cute they have the, the the ears and you know the, the kind of squished bulldog face and they're not too big they're not too small all the rest of it so french bulldogs are a hybrid and originally when french bulldogs started to to be bred they were they weren't really recognized as a as a proper breed Okay, which which is interesting to me to start off with. Like, who are the gatekeepers of this stuff? And you know, in in America, it's, yeah. there's there's the American Kennel Club, and in the UK, we have a, a kennel club equivalent, and you know all that stuff. But but all of that all of that stuff strikes me as a little bit crazy. However, French yeah. bulldogs have been bred for French bulldog characteristics, and like many intensively bred and selectively bred lines french bulldogs have now been bred to the point whereby they cannot give birth and are rarely naturally inseminated yeah yeah there's the idea of i mean pugs are the other one that sure come to mind where you've you've if you've bred an animal to the point where it can't breathe on its <laughs> yeah. own like well done it yeah. looks exactly the way you wanted it to and now it can't breathe well done this, but it's this, an animal that doesn't work it's an animal that doesn't work so a french bulldog is and french bulldogs are super cute and and very lovable pets uh, i hear but they have such narrow hips that they can't give birth except by cesarean and uh, copulation is difficult for them because of the the shape of animal that they have been bred to be so jeez in the spirit of thinking that this is a little bit crazy, and you know, I'm, like, I'm not getting at dog breeders. That's that's not, that's not my intention. I totally understand where dog breeding comes from, and and it has a, a long history and all the rest of it. And selecting, you know, the characteristics that you want within an animal, whether or not you have moral issues with that, I I, I get where that comes from. But I feel like saying only this exact bloodline is a concept that has little worth if what that means is that the bloodline gets stupid. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, yeah. come on. Let's let's think yeah. about this for a minute. And so th this this is what I was thinking about when I was thinking about this sense of, of hybrid as as being a negative thing, a thing that that leads to, you know, this the sense of almost like miscegenation and all that horrible shit. Um interestingly Etam Online has something additional to add. It states that okay. while the Latin uh, hybrid and ibrida is, is, you know, they agree with the OED in that respect, but they point out that this word itself is of unknown origin, but it's probably from Greek and somehow related to hubris. Oh. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? So, That's interesting. So I, I, I had a little bit of a look at this and I, I happened upon the uh, the OUP blog and a blog written by a guy called Anatoly Lieberman. His his little bio at the bottom says... Love his work. He's the author of Word Origins and How We Know Them as well as an analytic dictionary of English etymology and introduction and his column on Word Origins, the Oxford etym etymologist, appears on the OUP blog each Wednesday or it certainly did in 2016. And so he gives us three etymologies, uh, one of which is Ashkabad, the capital of Turkmenistan, the other of which is always, and the third of which is hybrid. Here's what he has to say. Hmm. The noun hybrid reached all the European languages from Latin. The Latin spelling hybrida is sometimes believed to have arisen under the influ influence of Greek hybris, arrogance or overweening pride. Known to English speakers as hubris, the verb of this root meant to be violent, to disrupt order, etc. Aristotle also mentioned hybris, some nocturnal bird of prey. In any case, Latin hybrida had nothing to do with insolence, violent behaviour or birds, for it designated the offspring of a tame sow and a wild boar, a mongrel and by inference a person of mixed race. Therefore, some people thought that the word was itself a Greek of... Greek, sorry, itself a blend of Greek, hus female pig or sow, and ibro, assumed or abstracted from the compound ibricalos, wild hog. But this hypothesis probably explains only what the Romans might have thought of the word. That is, their folk etymology of the obscure noun. 
The Latin, mm. the Latin spelling hybrida can be more correct. If hybrida was later changed to hybrida, then hybris loses its relevance to our story. Celtic Ephrid, crippled, maimed or lame, has also been cited as a possible cognate of Hebrida, most likely another wild shot. Finally, those who refuse to separate hybrid from hybris reconstruct the Indo-European root grey, strength or force, for both words. One gets the uneasy impression that Hebrida was a slang word used by Roman farmers for the cross between two animals and that it is not related to any of the roots offered by scholars. Our dictionaries state clearly and unambiguously of unknown origin. And hybrids themselves are often of unknown origin, mm. which is, is kind of how, how things work. And all of this chat about what's correct and what's incorrect and what's pure and what's mixed, if you want to get into those terrible, terrible terms, it, it reminds me of that's those terribly prescriptivist people who insist that words are this way and can never be any other way. Because right, yeah. it wasn't until 2002 that the sense hybrid came to be applied to a car sporting both a petrol and an electric engine. Things change. They change all over the place. Thankfully, most... Oh, I'd love to say most people. Thankfully, the sense that hybridization leads to positive characteristics is one that I, I think is inherent in our understanding of the word these days. Thankfully, most people yeah. don't talk about people as mongrels anymore. And thankfully, words yeah. don't stay the same, whether they are bred or whether they are left to their own wild devices. And lastly, I thought it was, it was important to talk about, I found this wonderful blog by a writer called Stan Carey. It's called Sentence First, okay. an Irishman's blog about the English language. And Stan Carey writes for various publications. And the article is called The Monstrous Indecency of Hybrid Etymology. Ooh. Hybrid etymology being this, this notion that etymologies can come from only one language. So particularly the mixing of Greek and Latin uh, roots and oh, right. this this is one of these things that, you know, historically, some people get their knickers very thoroughly twisted and knotted uh, about. Yeah, television being the <laughs> the one that leaps to mind. Yeah, there are tons. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll send you the link to this article. It's, it's really interesting. Cool. And um, <laughs> so this, this paragraph is pretty lovely. Even if we were to deny ourselves the natural playful urge to neologize, who would do the testing to which Fowler refers? Fowler uh, is basically insisting that, that somebody should be in charge of this notion of who makes up the words and how they should be made up. Ugh. An elite cadre of grammarians and grammaticasters or the general population whose language it equally is. Again, I find myself siding with Birchfield in his new Fowler's Modern English Usage. Quote, homogeneity of language origin comes low in language users' ranking of priorities. Euphony, analogy, a sense of appropriateness, an instinctive belief that a, world, a word will settle in if there is a need for it and will disappear if there is not. These are the factors that operate when hybrids, like any other new words, are brought into the language. It also refers to, nice. it has a picture of a t-shirt that says on it, polyamory is wrong. It is either multiamory or polyphilia, <laughs> but mixing Greek and Latin roots, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah uh, hybrid nice that's very cool i'm glad yeah i, I like th that the line at the end that you quoted there where it talks about just like you know if a word is useful it'll stick around uh -huh. and if it goes away it means it wasn't particularly useful and that's fine like yeah i like that yeah it's 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 evolution at its most natural, you know, the, the way that nature does it. If it's useful, we'll hang yeah. on to it. If it's not, it'll go. And trying to hang on to characteristics purely because they've always been that way or they've always been there, when you could have hybridization that leads to better, more interesting things. I, I know which side of that debate I, I land on. Yeah. Oh, and the idea of some sort of academy. Well, uh, dictate like the Academy Francaise. Uh, 
that would be a, a good example. Yeah. It certainly makes for yeah. some really interesting stories about language. I mean, it's true, but I don't know what a what a stain on the otherwise carefree image of the French. You know, <laughs> like they're so laid back about everything, but you talk about the French language, and they're just like, come on. I always wonder how the how the the Académie Française is perceived by sorry other way around how French Canadian is is considered by by speakers of of French. Mm, I think very poorly because you know, like you say, you know, it's it's very um, the French have this sort of national in in as in as much as national reputations are ever sort of useful, but yeah. Yeah, they're very laissez-faire, and they they invented laissez-faire. Damn it! <laughs> and yeah, it, it does. It's, it seems very very odd to to consider that, you know, there's talk about language, and everyone seems to have a stick up their butt. Yeah. Did Did you know weird. that uh, that? Now I I feel like I need to look this up and qualify it, but I'm pretty sure I remember reading that Finnish. I think it's Finnish. It's one of the Scandinavian languages. Is no one's mm. native language. Oh. Like essentially, it was decided by somebody that there should be an official language, and that Finnish was chosen as that official language. So all the people in I, I need I need to see if I can if I can find this out. Uh, all the people in Finland who spoke other native languages were like, "All right, okay, so I have to speak that one too." Yeah, cool, no problem. I'll speak fourteen anyway. But so. but you know it. it it was a language that was given to the nation by a, a sort of an equivalent Academy Francaise um, to say, this is our official That's language now. I know that none it's, of you actually speak of, it, but this is what we've decided. It reminds me, I mean, it's slightly more authoritarian because it involves just what people say and speaking and stuff, but it, it reminds me a little of the development of the Hangul script in Korean. Like, yeah. I've forgotten the name of the king in the, I think it was the Joseon dynasty, but in the 1300s, I want to say 1377. Go on then, say 1377. We, we, <laughs> I will. Uh, but yeah, just decided we, we need a writing system that makes more sense and developed and then went on to develop what I still maintain is the single most logical writing system in the Hangul's world. Hangul's so like, great. You can read, you can learn to read. You don't understand it, but you can learn to read Korean in like an afternoon. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's fantastic. So, yeah, it reminds me a little bit of that, of just this sort of, nope, here you go. Ta-da! <laughs> but... Here is a new thing. Everyone must use it. Go. And that's it for another episode of Lexitecture. To get in touch with us about something you heard in this episode, you can email us at words at lexitecture.com. You can also follow along and talk to us at Lexitecture on Facebook and Twitter and at Lexitecture Podcast on Instagram. For back episodes and the occasional blog post, visit us at lexitecture.com. Thanks very much, and we'll talk to you again soon.